Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who is here today, and I, I pray that you will give us ears to hear what you want to say to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You can be seated. And I want to turn your attention again to uh, the passage in Revelation. We've been looking at Revelation uh, for the last several weeks, and on your uh, in your bulletin on page 9, there's a section there from, well, we're getting to the end of the book. Uh, well, we've made it to the, not to the very end, but we're nearing the end of Revelation. Le- Revelation 21, 1 through 4, and 22, 1 through 5. And um, this passage comes, of course, in, 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 as I said, in the end of the book, and it's a part of a section in which John is given a vision of the very end of, of human history, the very last things that are to come. And so we are seeing in this passage of Scripture the grand conclusion, uh, the final conclusion or consummation of God's plan. God's plan for us, for humanity. God's plan for creation. And I think if you had to summarize what is the goal of God's plan, you could do no better than verse 3 of Revelation 21. If you want to look at that with me, Revelation 21 says, John heard a loud voice from the throne, that is, from the throne of God, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. You you pick up that emphasis, God with his people, dwelling with them. God will be with them as their God. So this is God's goal. This is what God is working towards even now through the plan of salvation. And that is to have a people who will dwell with him in eternity, and worship and glorify him and enjoy him forever and ever and ever in a place that is filled with the goodness and glory of God. This is God's goal. This is where history is headed. And as I've preached through these uh, series of sermons on Revelation, one thing I've tried to say is, If we look at our own life and experience, we can see that there are longings in our hearts that only God can fulfill, that only God can satisfy. And God has put those longings there for himself. We have a longing to dwell with God because God is the source of our very life and existence. I came across a, a, a reading, a, a passage from Henry Nouwen, and he talks about in this passage how this longing for God can show up in our life. And uh, I'm going to read this. I wonder if this speaks to you, if you can relate to what Henry Nouwen says in this passage. Our life is a short time in which sadness and joy kiss each other at every moment. It seems as if there's no such thing as clear-cut, pure joy. Even in our most happy times, there's a tinge of sadness. In every satisfaction, there's an awareness of limitations. 
In every success, there's the fear of jealousy. Behind every smile, there's a tear. In every friendship, there's still some distance. In all forms of light, there is a surrounding darkness. Every bit of life, he says, is touched by a bit of death. But this experience can point us beyond the limits of our existence. We can look forward in expectation to the day when our hearts will be filled with perfect joy. I wonder if that resonates with you. Well, this vision that we get from John will help us look forward in expectation to that day of perfect joy. And the key to it all is that we will be dwelling with God and God will dwell with us. And when he dwells with us, it will be in a place of perfection. The place itself will be perfect. And so we see in in this first verse that John has this vision. Again, this is coming at the very end of time. Just to be kind of clear about end time things and final things. Uh, When it comes to after this life, when we die, I believe that we go into the presence of God, the immediate presence of God. But then we are waiting still for this to happen. This is the end of history. This is the grand consummation, conclusion of God's plan of salvation. That is the new heavens and the new earth dwelling with him. And so John says, I see a new heaven. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. You could translate heaven, sky. He's talking about a new creation, a renewed, if you will, creation, a redeemed creation. It's new because there is no longer darkness, sin, death, Evil, all that is done away with. That's what's new about the new creation. And the sea was no more. The sea, in the biblical imagination, the sea represented the threat of nature, the chaos of nature, the way that nature can can destroy. The sea is a watery grave. And so, even today, in modern times, we see how destructive the sea can be and how much the, the sea can affect loss of life. Think about the tsunami. Think about the tsunami that happened, what was it, 2003, I think it was, where uh, almost a quarter of a million people were swept away by the sea. But those things will not be part of this place, the new heaven and the new earth, because God will be there. And where God is, there is life, not death. Where God is, there is wholeness, not destruction. And, and so we see this image of, of, of the the life of God flowing from His very throne into this place. That's what's going to be continually happening, the flow of the life of God. And and so we have this image in um, verse 1 of chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And through the middle of the street of the city also, on either side of the river, the tree of life. So there's a river of life, and there's the tree of life. And this tree has abundant fruit, 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And so that's a symbol of, uh, symbolism of, of plenty, of abundance. This life will never run out. There will be fruit for every month. And in this place, to jump up again to the prior passage, I skipped ahead. I wanted to bring out this point in this beautiful verse, verse 4. When God is with his people, 
there will be, he will wipe every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more, not in this place. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Now think about that place. Think about that kind of a world. That whatever causes us sorrow or pain will have no place in that creation. No more painful hospital visits to visit people who are suffering. No more doctor visits. No more surgeries. No more CAT scans. No more cancer. No more dreaded phone calls. No more graveyards. No more funerals. Because those things belong to the old creation. The old creation was corrupted by sin and death. You know, these images here of the tree of life and the river of life, those hearken back to the Garden of Eden, right? And, of course, God created the Garden of Eden to be a perfect place for Adam and Eve to dwell in and to fellowship with him. And he said that you can eat of any tree. You can eat of the tree of life. The tree of life was there. The only tree you cannot eat of was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but they were tempted by Satan to become like God, to want to know more than they ought to know as God's creatures. They wanted to be like God, not one of God's creatures. So they turned from God, the very source of life, and then death entered into the world as they broke fellowship with God. There was a river also flowing into the Garden of Eden that watered the garden. But when they turned from God, and this represents all of us, sin and death came into the world. So at the beginning of the Bible, we see paradise lost. Here at the end, we see paradise restored, paradise regained. And it's regained because of the Lamb, because of Jesus. Because Adam, who was disobedient and turned from God, he was not perfectly righteous. That was not the end of God's plan. God sent his son, the second Adam, into the world. And Jesus was perfectly righteous and perfectly obedient. And when we're united to him in love and faith, his righteousness becomes our righteousness. And so we can be in the presence of a righteous and holy God. We get in. We get into this place through the Lamb, through Jesus, because of his work and because of his righteousness. Jesus died for our sins on a tree, and that makes it possible for us to eat of the tree of life. Jesus says in John 7, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he talks there about drinking living water. See, all this happens because of Jesus, the Lamb who was slain. This promise, this hope that you have, that we have, is because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Paradise regained because of him. And this is the place where the people of God are headed. I love what Isaac Watts wrote in one of my favorite, this might be my favorite Christmas carol, Joy to the World. How about a little Christmas in June this morning? Remember that line? No more let sins and sorrow grow, grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings known far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. He comes to make his blessings flow. Sin has brought sorrow into the world. Creation itself is cursed. But God in Christ has come to make his 
blessings flow. The, the curse of sin is reversed through the redemption of Jesus Christ. And so God will dwell with his people in a redeemed place, the new creation. What a hope we have. And then when God dwells with his people, his people will be perfectly united. We'll be perfectly one. Jesus prayed in John 17 that his disciples and that all who follow him would be perfectly united. That, that we would be one just as him and the Father are one. And there will be perfect unity. That prayer will ultimately be answered in the new heavens and the new earth and in the new Jerusalem. Unity among diverse groups of people. And doesn't our culture and our own hearts long for that as well? This unity. Love between one another. Harmony. I was in St. Louis earlier this week in, uh, visiting a friend in, in the inner city of St. Louis. And I noticed as I was going up to his doorstep that his neighbor had a sign. Maybe you've seen these signs before. And it was just this little sign in the yard. And it said, stop killing one another. We must stop killing one another. And whether it's violence in the inner city or dysfunction in our families, whether it's office politics and broken relationships or factions even in the church, disunity, disharmony, the breakdown of relationships causes such pain. But God is at work in the world, building a community bound together in love. First and foremost, loving Him for what He has done for us in Christ, and then loving one another. God is at work building this community, the church, united together in Christ. And so John has a vision of the church as the bride. You see that in verse 2, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The holy city is a much, as much a people as it is a place. It is the bride prepared for Christ. So the church is the bride. Christ is the husband. We'll be united together as we're united to him. Throughout the book of Revelation, we've read these passages that speak of a great multitude in heaven from every tribe, every nation, every language, every tongue. And, and, and in chapter 5, heaven is praising God, praising Christ as the Lamb of God because it says in chapter 5, He ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. In our passage today, we see this, this theme of the nations gathering before the Lord. Revelation 22, the tree of life is for the healing of the nations. The healing of the nations, ethnic groups. That's what that means. Various ethnic groups. All folks from all tribes and tongues will come and gather around the throne. And so this is a... This is the fulfillment of the ancient promise that God gave Abraham that through your descendants all nations will be blessed. See, God has been at work building this community, this covenant family. And through the descendant of Abraham, through Christ, all people have been blessed and all people can be brought into the kingdom of God. The citizens of the New Jerusalem are from all the nations. And they're bound together in common love for the God who has redeemed them.
And so they're gathered around this throne, the throne of the Lamb, the throne of God, in order to worship Him. His servants from all nations, it says, will worship Him. Revelation 22.3. What a beautiful picture. What a wonderful picture. It's so marvelous. And when we go to other places, I don't know if you've had this experience of kind of getting out of sight of your church environment, as wonderful as it is to worship together on a Sunday morning. Sometimes it's nice to go into other environments and other churches and other gatherings and to see people from other walks of life, other nationalities, other denominations, worshiping and praising God together. And when you're in those kind of settings, it's like a picture of what heaven will be like. We're bound together by a common love and a common purpose. There's great unity there. It's a foretaste of heaven. One pastor wrote this when thinking about what the holy city will be like. He said, every face will be the face of a friend, and every friend will be strikingly like Jesus in the holy city. So this disunity and disharmony that can happen and misunderstanding that can happen because of our sinful natures, even when we want to be united together, that will all dissolve away in the presence of God. Perfect unity, a perfect place. And then as wonderful as all that is, the greatest thing and the reason why all that is good and great and a possibility is because we will be in the presence of God, the living God. To go back to that key verse, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. The dwelling place of God. Now, that word dwelling place could be translated the tabernacle of God is with man. And that evokes the Old Testament once again that God dwelt with his people in the Old Covenant in a tabernacle at first and then the temple later on. And, of course, God's presence could not be confined to those places, but he promised to be with his people and to meet with his people there. But now the dwelling place of God will be with man, not confined to a certain area, not restricted for certain people. The tabernacle and the temple were all pointing to this day, this day of ultimate fulfillment when God will be with his people. So there will be no need for the temple, as it says, in the city. The temple of the Lord, the temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And his people will enjoy his presence. And then you get to chapter 22, verse 4. Let's look at that, because if you know your Bible and I know you do, you were probably kind of caught short by this verse, or maybe you understood how staggering and astounding it really is, when in that verse it says this, this great promise, they will see his face. (laughs) They will see his face. Now, You remember what happened to Moses when he asked to see the face of God in Exodus 33, 20. What did God say? Moses was at a time of crisis. He wanted to see the face of God. The face represents the full presence of the person, the whole being of the person. Face and presence can be interchangeable in this language, in the Hebrew language. So face represents the full presence of God. And that's what Moses was asking at a time of crisis I want to encounter you, God, unmediated, your full presence. And God says, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. 
So maybe an analogy is, is like we cannot stare at the brightness of the sun for very long or it's going to cause damage to our eyes. And if we continue to stare at the sun, we can actually go blind because our eyes are not equipped to handle the rays of the sun. And in a similar way, on this side of eternity, we cannot encounter the direct presence of a holy and living God. We cannot stand in the presence of his glory. We cannot handle the brightness of his glory. But it says here that the day is coming when we will be able to see his face. Because God is going to transform us, body and soul, so that we can encounter this transforming vision of himself. And we won't need a sun or a lamp. There will be no more night because we will see the shining presence and glory of God. His glorious presence will illuminate us and everyone and everything that we do. It's an astounding vision. And so, friends, I know it's sometimes difficult to get real excited about this, <laughs> this side of eternity. How do we stir up our appetite for this? Well, you know, part of it's what we're doing here today, worshiping God together. And there are those, those times of encountering the presence of God in worship and prayer that we sense that he's with us, and that's just like a little appetizer for this great meal that is to come. So we have, to, we have to continue to worship and pray together because it's in worship that this vision can begin to stir our hearts and our imaginations. As we love one another, as we see the love that we have for one another, that can stir us up. You know, as we see the good things of life because all the blessings of life flow from God, all the good gifts of life that we enjoy flow from a good God. We have to recognize that. We have to understand where the source of all this goodness in life comes from. It comes from the hand of God. And so when you see beautiful things in creation, you know, you go out at, at night and you see that sunset and the, the beautiful colors of purple and the pink, if you're fortunate to see those beautiful sunsets, there's a sense of tranquility. We understand who is behind that is this God of great beauty and glory. Where we we hear a musical virtuoso or we see a work of art or maybe even just an elite athlete and, and, uh, and we're in awe of that talent. That comes from an awesome God who gives people those kinds of gifts. Or when your spirit is lifted by uh, the innocence and purity of a child or an act of love and kindness. When you feel satisfied by doing a, a job with excellence and you think, you know what, I was really made to do this. Wherever you feel safe and loved. All these good things point us to the God from whom all these blessings flow. And we should understand and this should whet our appetite for his presence. Because in his presence there is fullness of joy. That's what the psalmist says in Psalm 16. In his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures evermore. So let those good things that you enjoy now, just take them all and bundle them all up and multiply them to an infinite degree and understand that there's something mind-blowing that is the presence of God from whom all his, these blessings flow that is waiting for us in the new heavens and the new earth. A perfect place. Perfect unity. Every face, the face of a friend. 
his perfect presence when God dwells with his people. I know sometimes, and I think that there's this phrase that just repeats through Revelation, because sometimes we hear these things and we might think, well, this is just too good to be true. But there's a phrase that repeats through Revelation, a couple of phrases I want to highlight here in closing. One is, after God gives John these visions, and John is probably trying to process this through, he says, these words are faithful and true. Write them down. These words are the words of God, not the words of man. These words are faithful and true. God has given these words to his church to sustain them in hope. Write these down and believe these words because they're coming from the living God. They're coming from the same God who raised Jesus from the dead. So we can trust these words. And the other thing that happens at the end of this book a phrase that pops up again and again, is the Lord says, come to me if you're thirsty and drink the living water. Drink this living water that is without payment or price. You don't have to pay for this. This is a gift flowing from God. And so if you're here today and there is a thirst in your heart for this hope, (laughs) come to Christ and drink. The lamb that was slain was slain for you, for your sin. God is offering you today his life. The things of this world will not completely satisfy us, but that's an indicator for a longing for God. And so if you're thirsty, the living water is available as you come to Christ who gave his life for you so that you might have this eternal life. There's a pattern. Life, death, eternal life. This is what God has secured for his people. Amen. If you are here today and you do sense that longing in your heart for what only the living God can give you, this eternal life, I just invite you to to pray a simple prayer of faith and trust. There are some prayers printed out in the back of the bulletin on page 32. Nothing magical about these prayers, but if you pray something like these words with an honest heart, the Lord will meet you with his grace and mercy. So I invite you to take a look at that and be happy to talk with you about it at another time. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us with this vision, each and every one of us here today. We have these deep longings in our heart and we are looking to you to fulfill these deep longings. Thank you, God, for these promises that are made to us through Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. Amen. Amen.